All right, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. First John. Just regular John, yeah. Um, we'll be in John 11, 25 and 26. We'll also be in John 14, 6, which is, which is close by. Um, if you turn after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll hit John. If you hit Acts or Romans or any other book in the New Testament, you've gone a little too far. Um, all right, so we'll be looking at a few different passages tonight, but we'll be staying primarily in those verses. We'll come back to them a few times. So, uh, 1125, All right, so if you remember so far, we're doing big questions. This is our big question series, and we've seen two things. We've seen that we can trust the Bible, and we've also seen that Jesus really did rise from the dead. So tonight we're asking the question, can Christianity be true for you and not for me? Let me say that again. The question tonight is, can Christianity be true for you and not for me? So here now from God's word, this is John eleven twenty five through 26 and John 14, 6. Sorry, I lost my place. All right, John 11, 25 through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is living and active. Lord, may the words of my mouth and our thoughts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our great redeemer. Amen. Sometimes you'll hear an illustration about how all religions are just part of one big truth, and the people that believe them just can't quite see it. It's known as the blind man and the elephant. So you have three blind men, and they all come up to an elephant, and one of them is touching the trunk of the elephant. They say, oh, this is a snake. It feels like it's a really big boa constrictor or something. You have another blind man who's got the leg of the elephant. He says, no, it's a big tree. It's like a a giant tree trunk. And then you have a third blind man who's touching the side of the elephant, and he says, what are you talking about? It's just this large, flat space, right? And so, you know, if you know what you're talking about, then you realize they're all talking about the same elephant. They're all just blind. And some people use that illustration, and they say, well, you know, that's what the world's religions are like. They all have a bit, a bit of the truth, but if you really look at them all you know, away with actually eyes that you can see, then you'll see they're all really about the same thing. Um, and, I, and I want you to hear that because you might hear that from somebody at some point in your life. Maybe some of you already have. Um, and it seems really open-minded. It, it seems really kind. Okay, I'll receive a little bit of everything and everyone. There's nothing we reject. But there are some major problems with this idea, and especially this illustration with the elephant. First, major religions have big contradictions that aren't just going to go away. So Jews, Muslims, and Christians think very different things about Jesus. Was he the son of God? Did he die? Did he rise from the dead? Right? All three of them have very different answers. You can't just wash over that by saying they're all just seeing part of the same truth. It doesn't really work. Second, that viewpoint does reject something. It, doesn't, it seems like it's really open-minded, but it does reject something. What it rejects is that only one of those ways can be right, and the way you understand your religion is wrong. But also, it assumes something. It assumes that it's the, it's the only way, and that it's, its way is right. Think about the illustration. All those three men are blind, and yet the one person talking can see the whole picture, right? They're saying, I see when everybody else is blind. Well, why do I, why do I tell you this? Well, 
Because I want us to see something about whatever anyone believes. Anybody you come in contact with in this life will believe something. And their belief system will do two things. It will always receive something. And it will always reject something else. It doesn't matter what they believe. There's, there's something they believe in that is true, that they, they say is true. And there's always something that they believe is false. There's always something they reject. So in order to answer our question tonight, can Christianity be true for you and not for me? We need to look at what Christianity rejects and what Christianity receives. And that will help us figure this out. So first, we're going to start with what does Christianity reject? And you'll see up here, Christianity rejects any way. So look at John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, what is Jesus saying? He's saying there's no other way to God. There's no other truth about God but who I am. You can't understand God apart from me, and you can't have a life apart from me. What does John say in John, or what does Jesus say in John eleven twenty five? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not saying I am a resurrection, I am a life. He's saying I am the one and the only. First Timothy two five says there is only one mediator between God and man the man, Christ Jesus. And there are many more passages like this. So what's the point? Christianity rejects any way. It says instead there's only one way, and that way is Jesus. Think about the drawing contest we had up here. Everybody was drawing elephants based on the picture I had. There was an actual, real, true picture they were trying to copy, right? We don't get to say, well, they all did equally well, because there's a standard, right? There is something true that you can't get away from. Right? And that's what Christianity says. There is something true, and it's Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So Christianity rejects the idea that there's any way. Instead, Christianity says there's one way. But also, Christianity does something else. It actually receives something. What does Christianity receive? We're actually going to see Christianity receives anyone. Right? It rejects any way. The only way is Jesus, but it actually receives anyone. Let me look back at John eleven twenty five. 25. It says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Hear that language of whoever? Everyone? John three sixteen. one of the most popular verses in the Bible, we probably all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? The world here means the world beyond the Jews, because he was talking to a Jew at the time. He's saying God came for not just the Jews, he came for everybody. And it says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever, right? So this is, this is what Romans says about it. This is Romans 10. Okay, here again, this idea of if you believe, anyone can come to faith. Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And hear this, Romans ten thirteen. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, right? Christianity receives anyone as long as, what? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. As Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Christianity receives anyone. 
And if you read the New Testament, you'll see this happens a lot with the early church. The early church is made up of people that normally you would say, you would never get in the same room with this person, but now you're here. An example is in Acts 16 when uh, the church at Philippi is getting started. Well, it starts with a woman named Lydia, who's a seller of purple cloth. She's a businesswoman, right, high up on the corporate ladder. And she hosts people in her house to start the church. The second convert in Philippi is a former slave girl who was demon-possessed, right? Very different people, not going to come in contact with one another on a normal day. The third convert is a Philippian jailer, right, working for the Roman establishment. And again, so different. These three people would never have any reason ever to be in the same room, and yet now they are more united than ever because they've all believed. They've all confessed that Jesus is the Christ, right? And so Christianity, as we see, receives anyone. It rejects any way, but it receives anyone. But this often leaves us with a question. The question is this, well, how can everybody be held responsible? Right? We have the Bible. We've grown up in Christian families. Okay, I can understand how we're responsible, but how can somebody raised somewhere else be held responsible? How can somebody who's raised in another religion be held responsible? How can somebody who lives on a desert island that doesn't have any phone or anything, right, how can they be responsible? Right? That's the question. Well, the Bible actually does talk about this a good bit. Uh, hear what Paul says when he's speaking to Greeks in the book of Acts. Now, Greeks right, didn't have the Old Testament given to them. It was given to the Jews. So he's speaking to them, and he says this in Acts 14. Yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Right? He's saying God has left a witness for himself. Just a few chapters later in Acts 17, Paul is talking and he says, And he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Okay, so we see that creation witnesses about God, right? Uh, And it should motivate people to to seek him. Um, and this is actually what it says in 1 Timothy 2.4. I just read 1 Timothy 2.5 earlier. There's only one mediator between God and man. But listen to 1 Timothy 2.4. It says this, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what God desires, right? And he's left his witnesses in creation. Then why doesn't everybody come to faith, right? Why don't people? And this is what Romans says. And Romans 1 says this. And it, notice how it refers back to creation, but also the difficulty. It says this, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do you hear that? They suppress the truth. It's not that they don't have the truth, but rather they suppress it. Okay, verses 19 and 20 go on, and they refer to, again, the fact that God has actually revealed himself in creation. Verse 19, For what could be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Okay, so God has revealed himself, right? And so all are responsible. But there's also a theme running through Romans and other books in the New Testament that to whom much is given, much is asked. So us who have the Bible, we who have the Bible and are able to study it, right? more is going to be asked of us in regards to what we know and don't know than somebody who may have difficulty getting a Bible or only is able to hear the gospel preached occasionally. right? We're going to be more responsible, and that's a theme in Scripture. But also, this question motivates something. I want us to see that. 
Um, the, the law is written on our hearts. Yes, that's a theme in Romans. And so what do we do with that? Do we just say to people, okay, if you don't know, then, you know, you suppress the truth and, you know, you, you're a goner. No, this is what Paul actually says. We said earlier, right, Romans 10, 13, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Romans 10, 14, and 15. What he says exactly after that, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So what does Paul do with the idea that some people, right, that everybody can come, right? Christianity receives anyone, and yet not everybody's heard. He says that should motivate us to spread the gospel, right? And that's what he did with his life. He traveled all around spreading the gospel. So it's a good question to ask how can people be held responsible, and we can see in God's word that they are, but that should actually motivate us to do something. That should motivate us to spread the gospel, to spread the only way. If, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and anybody can receive him, that means we are all responsible for preaching that gospel. And so I want to leave us with how do we preach the gospel, right? Uh, and that's with reason and with respect. So Christianity rejects any way we've seen. It receives anyone, but it also does something when it spreads the gospel. It reasons with respect. And there are many passages that use this type of language in the Bible. I'm going to read just a few of them so you get an idea of what it talks about. This is 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do you hear that? Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and do so with gentleness and respect. Colossians and 2 Timothy have the same idea. This is what Colossians says. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So walk in wisdom, right, but have gracious speech to people that don't believe. This is 2 Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So we must reason and respect when it comes to other people. And this actually, if we think about it, goes all the way back to the heart of the Christian faith, right? We, we got to think the reality of what Jesus has done is what's propelling us in all of this. And what has Jesus done? It says this in the Bible, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he came and died for us while we weren't serving him, while we were far from him. Well, we were those people who rejected him, yet he came and died for us, right? Just think about that. Um, while we were still sinners, he died, and he even died for his enemies. He didn't just die for people that liked him, that already wanted to follow him. No, he died for his enemies. And think about this. The people that we're, we're spreading the gospel to, we need Jesus just as much as them. It's really easy sometimes to think, yeah, this person who's not in church needs the gospel. This person who's not in church needs to know about Jesus, right? Which is true, but so do we. Jesus is the only way, and that's the way that we need, right? And so Paul, actually, it's amazing the way he talks about himself. He'll talk about what's sinful, right? He'll talk about these actions that are sinful and that are wrong, but he'll also then turn around and call himself the worst of sinners, right? He recognizes the fact that Jesus had to die, not only for the world, right, but for him. And so that's how we can, we can reason with respect. And let me give you four kind of practical tips on how we do that, right? Right? Because if Christianity is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life, 
right? And if Christianity can't be true for you and not for me, it either is or isn't, right? If Christianity is true, then we need to know how do we talk to other people about it? So I want to give us four things as, as we think about how to do that. One, first is to listen. First is to listen. Before you begin to talk, first is to listen. What does this person you're talking to believe, right? Maybe they say they believe one thing, but when you actually ask them about it, they believe something else. It's helpful to know what somebody actually believes. Also, where have they been hurt? Sometimes people claim that they have the truth or they claim to be actually following the Bible, and often they're not. Often they hurt other people, and that makes it hard for people to hear. So listening is really important, and that way then you can build a bridge to what the Bible actually says. Ask questions. Seek to understand them, right? And do this in friendships. Do this in relationships you have. So first, listen. Second is prepare, right? It says in the Bible, be prepared. And so how do we do that? Well, we ask our questions now. We ask our questions here in the community of faith. We, we start to know and understand what the Bible says so that we can then go talk to other people about it, right? It's important not just to say we believe something, but to know what we actually believe. And that's something we will grow in more and more as you get older. But my encouragement to you, to you is to figure that out, to spend the difficult time so then you can have those conversations and be prepared. So listen, prepare. Third is to trust. You see, we can trust in the Holy Spirit because you and I aren't the ones that change heart and minds. God does through his spirit, as we kind of heard this morning, actually, uh, in the sermon. God changes hearts and minds. And it's not up to you and I to be perfect, right? Sometimes we feel that. I feel that when I'm talking to a non-Christian. I feel like everything I have to say has to be perfect or else it's going to be my fault that they don't come to know Jesus, right? But that's not it at all. Right? The Holy Spirit can work through imperfect people. That's what God's been doing through all of human history. And he can do that with us. So we can trust. And fourth, right, we can have humility. Like we talked about, Jesus came for all of us, for you and for me and for the person you're trying to, to share the gospel with. Right? So we don't think we're better than other people. We actually say, no, we understand that we're sinful too. Right? We need Jesus' death for us just as much as you do. And also, sometimes humility means saying, I don't know. Right? Just because you don't know the answer to a question doesn't make Christianity wrong or invalid. It just means you don't know. And it's okay to say you don't know. You're not wrong for doing that. And so how do we reason with respect? We listen, we prepare, we trust, and we, we speak with humility. So I said at the beginning this metaphor for religions, and it was the elephant illustration. Let me give you a better one, a more apt metaphor, and that's about a mountain. Think about this big mountain called religion's mountain. Okay, God is at the top of the mountain. And all the religions are on the bottom of the mountain, and they have these different paths that they think can get them up to God. You just have to follow this way, or you just have to follow this way, or this way. But the problem is, you can't make it up to the top. You can't make it up to the summit. No one can, right? But the truth of Christianity is this. While all the religions say, you just have to do this, you just have to do that, and you can't actually make it to God, Christianity says, no, God himself has come down. You could never make it to the top. Not by your own effort. Not by your own will. But Christianity says, Jesus has come down, the Son of God, and he died in our place. His righteousness is now ours, and now we can live with God because of him, right? And that is so different than anything else the world is saying, anything else that people believe, right? Yeah, everybody's receiving something and everybody's rejecting something, but when we understand the difference between religion, uh, Christianity and every other religion, we understand that we need it desperately because we can't do it on our own. So we've seen that Christianity rejects any way, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Christianity receives anyone, right? And this should motivate us to reason with respect, to share the gospel that we know. 
I want to leave us with what it says at the very end of uh, John chapter 11, 26. He just leaves this hanging. He's saying this to Martha, who he's talking to. He says, after saying, I am the resurrection of the life and the life, whoever believes in me will never die. He says this to her. Do you believe this? And I just want to leave us with that. Do we believe this? And if so, what are we going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That um, even though we don't always represent you well, even though we, we fall down day after day, it seems like week after week, we can always come back to you, and there's forgiveness for that. Thank you for your grace, which runs deeper than all of our sin. Lord, by your spirit, would you motivate us to know your word more and more, but also to spread that more and more to people who desperately need it. Uh, Lord, give us encouragement by your spirit uh, to do this thing. Thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. Would you strengthen these guys this week and all that they do and all that they say, may they honor you. Would you bless now our last song and our time in small groups. In Jesus' name, amen.